Listener Production. Before we get underway, a one-off, one-off new theme song this week, written, arranged, played, sang and produced in very quick time, it must be said, by this week's guest. Check it out. This week on the Howard Games, guess who is on? This week on the Howard Games, guess who is on? Guess who is on? Yes, howdy, we are back. It's been a big pre-season, but the Howie Games team has been putting in the hard yards to deliver a big Season 7 for you. We've got... In our opinion, anyway, some ripper episodes coming your way. You're listening to episode 80, part A. If you're tuning in on a holiday road trip, one, thank you so, so much for listening. Two, please drive carefully. To get things underway, as you heard from the intro, a man of many talents, Brett Lee. Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. People kindly ask me which is my favourite episode of the show. I typically respond by saying, "Eh, it's pretty much like asking me which is my favourite child, the pickle or the big penguin. It's an impossible choice. What I will say, however, in this instance, is this episode was about as much fun as I've ever had recording an episode. Added to that, Brett Lee, or Binger, as he's universally known, is the perfect representation for mine of what the show strives to be. He's always positive and upbeat, forever smiling, and most importantly, he's never afraid to have a real crack at things that are often well out of his comfort zone. You probably know Binger as an Aussie cricketer who could bowl with heat. Real heat. On this very day, Boxing Day 1999, Brett took five wickets v India on his test debut. Oh, he's hit him in the end. This is out. Yes, he's taken it. That's the end of Srinath. He's got another one. Oh, what a day. Five wickets on debut. Brett Lee has brought the MCG alive. What you may not know is Brett is also a very talented musician and actor. This episode was recorded in a hotel in Brisbane during the first Test versus Pakistan over a couple of quiet ones. On my request, the great man brought his guitar, making this, to my great delight, an episode with a musical accompaniment. Brett Lee is one of the nicest fellas I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, and he rocks the axe. What else could you want? Enjoy. So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion I am that excited about our next guest on the Howie Games I don't know where this is going to go We are starting before he says a word With a musical interlude Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> I hear the train a coming, it's rolling round the bend. But I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I've stopped in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling. Hold down inside and talk. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the Howie Games, a man of many talents, Brett Lee. We've never opened a show like that, mate. It is great to see you. Howie, and I've never done that in my life. <laughs> so there's two firsts. How are you, mate? I'm fantastic. And I always say I'm really looking forward to chatting with the guests. But right off the top, I was thinking about this today. The reason I'm so excited about chatting with you, I've had the pleasure of working with all sorts of people, and I say this honestly, I've never worked with anyone that is so positive about life and what they're doing for a job and willing to have a crack at anything. I said to you 10 seconds ago, why don't you play something to start? You said, why not? <laughs> have you always been such a positive, warm person? Well, firstly, thank you. That's uh, probably the best intro I've ever got too. <laughs> uh, look, I, I just love life. And... To me, it's about having fun, not taking myself too seriously, and and having a lot of things that interest me. So I've never, I was never going to be just that one-dimensional cricketer. And to me, cricket was a huge part of my life, mm. but never the only part of my life. So I, I've made sure I've had other interests in my life in order to probably help my cricket. 
music being one, love fashion, uh, I, I love movies, all these types of things. And, you know, I'm not, I know a lot of people love different aspects of their life as well, but to me, I had to have music. And, yeah, I try and keep as positive as possible. Not always the way, you know, there's times when you get down, there's times where you you judge your own ability, certainly on the cricket field. Uh, I've had those moments, but you snap out of them pretty quickly. I've never seen that, though, in you. And we work, oh, let's be honest, we've got the best job in the world we have. at the moment. We've been don't, at the, don't tell no No, one. no. Well, we, you know, <laughs> I got paid a little bit and you got paid a lot today to be at the <laughs> test match in Brisbane. This will come out probably on Boxing Day, but we will be there getting paid to talk about cricket. For me, to sitting amongst people that I've idolised growing up, like Alan Border and Wasim Akram we're working with at the moment, yeah. but still people come in and, oh, gee, I hope the test finishes early or, um, you know, it's going to be a long day. Never, never with Brett Lee. You always bounce in looking resplendent, as we always joke <laughs> about, but you're always ready to go with a smile. Well, I've got the pluggers on today. Mm. I've got the thongs on this afternoon. Uh, is that is that innate or have you learnt that along the way that that's the person you want to be so that's the person you become? I think it's the way that I've been brought up mm. and and having two brothers, one older Shane, older brother Shane and a younger brother Grant who I'm so close with, very close to my family. You know, mum and dad and I chat every single day. But it's always about respecting people, treating people the way that you want to get treated. And if you're going to do something, have a, have a decent crack at it. So I don't do things half-hearted, which is the reason why, you know, I've never really gone off the field with a slight muscle tear. You know, I've, I've played until my bones literally broke in half, but I wanted to see how far I could push myself. I guess it's the same in life in all aspects. I want to do musical interludes throughout this, so grab your beautiful guitar <laughs> and we'll get to music. Firstly, describe this because this is a thing of beauty. This is uh, it's a trying to set the scene here. It's a graphite guitar. Uh, it's black with a mother of pearl. There's some sharks on the fretboard. Huh. Now, look, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about music because I play from here. I've never been taught. Uh, I can read chords now, but I just love it. And I'm sure the neighbours or, or next to neighbours, depending on where I am in different rooms, <laughs> they probably won't agree. But to me, it was it's a great outlet. You know, I love I love music. My, my perfect ideal um, thing I can do to make me happy, obviously, Spending time with the family is, is to me the most important thing. But second to that would be a Sunday afternoon, couple of beers, mate's got the guitars out, um, my cousin Luke who's a, a great singer and we're, we're best buddies, us just having a jam, big sing-along, and to me that's when I'm in my absolute element. You know, nothing in the, matter, nothing in the world matters. It, it's just a lot of fun. So why don't we, as we do this, go through periods of your life? Okay. Um, so can you recall, I'm really putting you in the spot, what do you think would have been the first song you learned on the guitar? The first song I learned on the guitar was uh, More Than Words. Go on then. Well, but I still haven't learned it properly. <laughs> oh, go on, you don't have to say. Extreme? Yeah, extreme. And it's extreme hardly, extremely hard song to learn as right. well. I, I actually, I thought it'd be a pretty cool song to play. Yeah. Uh, if you're a single bloke and you learn extreme more than words, it's a, it's a pretty cool tune. Yeah, my word. I remember a mate of mine bought the album. Was it called? I don't know much about. It might have been called Pornography. And that was it? song, I might be wrong. That song was big at the time, and he bought the album. I remember Sneaky Pete Shepherd. And all the rest was real hardcore. And he yeah. thought, oh, this is not what I signed they up for. Did, they did have a second song, but it wasn't as good as that. I mean, that, that's a classic. Everyone knows more than words. Okay. So where'd you grow up? Tell me about your family. I grew up in a place called Mount Warrigal, which in Aboriginal terms is called Dingo Hill, mm -hmm. uh, about two hours out of Sydney south, uh, close to Oak Flats. And Oak Flats was my first career club. Great place to grow up. We had uh, five minutes from the beach, pretty much backed onto a rainforest, had a big lake around us, so plenty of places to ride your bike and, and, and explore fish. I love fishing growing up. Great childhood memories, like just happy childhood memories. And that's that's been my whole life. It's, you know, I, I sort of look back to those those days and think, geez, I had a, a, a very, very lucky upbringing. And cricket, when did cricket enter the Brett Lee sphere? About nine. Nine. So Shane, my older brother, who also happened to play for Australia, played first, played I think 47 one-day matches for Australia. We we sort of came home one afternoon and Shane goes, look, I want to 
you know, I want to play cricket. And mum and dad said, don't play cricket. It goes too long. Maybe try try soccer or something. So, so it wasn't they, part of the household yet. It's not your dad nah, or anything played. No, nah, dad never played cricket in his life. Mum never played. Uh, mum was a, a sprinter, 100-metre sprinter. So she got she was real good pace. And that's where I think that we get the, the fast switch fibres was. Uh, from dad reckons she's full of it. Dad reckons it all came from him. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dad's name? Bob. Come on, Bobby. Bob, Bobby boy, and uh, and Helen. So Helly reckons it's all hers, and Bobby boy guess no, it came. You know, talent came from me. Uh, two wonderful parents, very lucky. But yeah, they so they put Shana for one year, and he came back. He's eleven and a half, and he goes, "I want to play cricket. I want to play this year." And he made the state team in his first year, huh. and he literally said to me, "I still remember the day, bowl." Threw the tennis ball to me, bowl. He was batting. Grant was the fieldsman, which is why he probably retired at the age of eighteen. <laughs> and and that was it. That's how I got introduced to cricket. Fell in love with it. Played under tens and haven't looked back. So when he threw you that ball, my young bloke's seven now, and he's uh, he's playing his second year of cricket. And some kids can naturally come and bowl and bat, and others take a bit of coaching to get to that level, which is irrelevant because they all just love it. Mm. Could you, when your brother threw you the ball, could you bowl straight away? Yeah, I just saw it on TV and just tried to copy an action and just the ball just came out naturally and obviously it took me a while to get going. But, you know, I think back to under 10s, under 12s, and I was always the quickest in the team. But I just thought that was normal up until, you know, then you start playing in different competitions and people would be saying, this guy's a lot quicker than kids the same age. I was probably about two uh, groups ahead the same speed. But I, I sort of, you know, like that. I actually enjoyed the fact that I was scaring the tripe out of them <laughs> at the scaring age of nine. Scaring the tripe out of them. <laughs> so that, that got me excited. I didn't want to bowl. I couldn't bowl spin. I couldn't bat. Dad, every afternoon, would take us down to the cricket nets uh, at Panorama Oval, which is now Shane Lee Field. Huh. And he would, like, literally, because he couldn't throw that hard with his arms, so he worked out. He'd come down half of the pitch. And Pad Shatman just peg balls and he'd throw big off spinners and just chuck balls at Shane. Uh, I'd bowl to Shane as well. Grant would have a bowl and a bat. Grant was probably the most talented cricketer in the, in the, in the family. Really? Yeah, but just didn't want to do it. <laughs> and I was like, this is cool. So Dad would be down, my Uncle Les would come down and, and sort of help out. And that was every afternoon. And that was after school, 3.30, we'd get down the nets. We'd probably be home just before dark. Mum would cook dinner and we'd go to bed and do it all again tomorrow. So at what stage, Binger, did you become that guy, oh, no, we're playing against Brett Lee's team and he bowls really, really fast? And we all have that bowler. Probably 12. Right. And there wow. was a – I still remember the guy's name, Wesley Croft. Crofty. Crofty. And he came from, I think, Lake Illawarra to Oak Flats and he was trying out for our team and our coach goes, I want you to bounce him. I'm about 11 and a half. It's okay, give me the ball took the brand new ball and he wasn't wearing a helmet and I bounced him and knocked out his front teeth and there was blood all over the wicket and I actually, I was sick. I felt, I was visibly sick, like almost vomiting, looking at the blood in the wicket and I, I said, that's it, I actually quit cricket. So I quit cricket for about a week. My dad rang his father, offered to pay all the dental bills and um, was his dad said, no, nah, it was his fault, should have been wearing a helmet and that was it. And then they uh, they offered me to come back and, and take the new ball again a week later. I said, okay, I'll do it again. Because so, I, I, But I, I didn't like hitting. Even throughout my whole career, you might see me on the cricket field and think this bully or this, this enforcer, which I had to be. That was my role, uh, to, to be that real big enforcer, try and bowl uh, quick to try and scare the batsman. But I actually hated the batsman getting hurt. I wouldn't show it, but I hated it. Which is exactly what I was going to ask you because getting to know you over the last few years – you're a bit of a conundrum like that because you are the most passive laid-back person. So how did you pump yourself up to go and potentially cause physical injury to people, which is what you did? Like you intimidated yeah, yeah. world-class cricketers. Yeah, and look, I'm not proud to say, but there were, I mean, I lined batsmen up. You know, you never go as far as say, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to kill you type of thing. Unfortunately, it, it has happened in cricket, which makes you think, geez. And I reckon I've knocked out over 250 people like hit him in the head, like flat straight on the deck. And Gee. I think, thank God that wasn't serious. And I've been pinned too. So I was probably the most bounced batsman in world cricket. 
Well, because you were dishing it out. So but I gave you, it back. That was fine. Did you have to mentally wind yourself up to be that person or when you were out on the field you just became Brett Lee the fast bowler as opposed to the, the lovable bloke that you are? I would say the best way to describe what I did, I was acting. And my whole cricketing life, it was a show. I was out there, this different person. So off the field, this is me. On the field, give me the ball because I want to create havoc. And so I could easily switch between the two because it was like I had a role to play. Uh, I was the actor. I loved being the showman. I loved that ego. I uh, enjoyed the crowd. I enjoyed sort of getting amongst it and all the stuff that comes with it. But that was so different to what my normal life is. But that was good and I, and I loved that. And that's probably the part that I miss is actually feeling the way I did when I walked on that cricket field because – you don't have moments every single day where it all clicks and when it all clicks, it, you just feel on top of the world. And people go, well, what? Now, how can you celebrate it? Or you did the chainsaw, you did this big jump. I mean, you know, you know, were you showing off? Is it something you practiced? That's just pure, pure adrenaline. And I haven't been able to replicate that adrenaline since. But I reckon that if they time me, I, I reckon I could run sub 10 seconds. I mean, I couldn't, but this is how you feel. Like you get a moment. wicket and if you sprinted for 100 metres, I reckon you'd, you'd go pretty close to breaking the record. So mechanically, physically, emotionally, spiritually, tell me how to bowl fast. I would take the ball out of a bowler's hand. So if I find a young kid, like a 14-year-old um, Nassim Shah, if, if, if I see a young Pakistani or an Indian bowler or an Australian bowler that's got potential, I'd take the ball out of their hand first thing and they'd go, well, why? You have to bowl with the ball. No, I want to make you a good sprinter. You've got to be a good sprinter to be a fast bowler. And when I, when I say a fast bowler, I'm talking 155 Ks plus because there's a lot of people in the bracket between 130, 140. 140 to 145 is a different bracket. That's where it, it's that steep incline in terms of, you know, it's it's hard to reach. 145 to 150 is tough. 150 to 155 is so hard. It's only a few Ks, but that is so much more uh, intense training, Physical makeup, genes, the whole thing, fast twitch fibers, and then to hit one sixty—that's only you know a few people have ever have done it because it's hard. It's hard in the body. Everything has to click at the, at the same stage. But I would work on sprinting first. I would say, right, become a good hundred meter sprinter. Once that happens, then the rest will follow. Then it becomes looking after your action. What I call a clean action. You know, no arms and legs going everywhere not falling away, making sure the head doesn't tilt over. I mean, I've had a broken back. I've had I've had a lot of injuries, which we'll probably get to at some stage. Mm. But to me, it, it, you've got to get all that inertia, all that momentum going forward to make sure that the ball comes out more than 150K. So I'd start with sprinting first. Early on, you get a question mm. from one of my children. Great. I have two children. I know you've listened to the show a little bit, so you might yep. be familiar with them. The big penguin and the pickle. <laughs> I haven't seen the big penguin for five days due to the fact we've been away at work. But he's starting his cricket career and you're talking about bowling fast. I asked for a question. This is what he sent through on his mum's phone to ask you. Hi, Brett Lee, big penguin here. I'm only seven and I reckon I bowl about 40 kilometres per hour. Daddy said you bowled 160 kilometres per hour. Whoa, what do I need to eat to bowl that fast? Because I think I will get lots of wickets in the under-11s then. What a little champion. Hello, big penguin. Big penguin wants to know the diet required. Big penguin, so he's seven, bowling yes. around about 40 clicks, which is great at the age of seven. Firstly, mate... I'm so glad that you're playing cricket or any sport in general. And I'll, I'll promote cricket because I love it. But any sport in general, firstly, is is great. What do you have to eat? A balanced diet. You know, I'm, I've never been one to uh, count calories. I've never been one to say you've got to have a special diet. When I was playing, it was just, you know, making sure that you're looking after your body. If it's green, it's generally pretty good for you. Good advice. That's my theory. Uh, and... He's still growing. I mean, he'll grow for another probably 13 years, 12, 13 years. So grow into your body, enjoy bowling fast. Uh, the best bit of advice I'd give him is his front arm. So if he's a right-hand bowler, he is. pull down really hard. So imagine reaching up with your left arm. So the boys and girls at home, you reach up, grab a star out of the sky, rip the star out of the sky as quickly as you can, which will mean that your elbow comes down past your hips, then you follow through. So the quicker you bring your front arm down, 
which is your left arm if you're a right-handed bowler, the quicker your back arm will follow. Pure physics, you bring your left arm down as quickly as you can, your right arm will come over quicker, or if you're a left-handed bowler, your right arm will snap down as quickly as you can, and the left arm will come out a lot quicker. That is a great explanation. That's another seven straight days in the nets for me when I get home. He wants to Good run luck, through Ellie. that. <laughs> Before we move on to your career, when you're at the top of your mark and it is flowing, and you're bowling, your fastest recorder ball was 160. 161. 161.1. I'll just say 160 because that. What does it feel like being able to athletic, athletically achieve something that so few people can do? feels good. Yeah. It feels really good. But I, I made that commitment to myself when I was nine. Mum and dad asked me when I first started playing, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to bowl 160Ks because I saw what Tomo did <laughs> and I wanted to beat Tomo and I wanted to wear the baggy green cap. So everything in my life was destined to do that. And I knew I was going to do it when I was nine. I don't know how. I don't know. It, maybe it was a mindset. But I, I think I've trained my brain. There was no other option. And not because I didn't enjoy going to school. I mean, I did my HSC and I did, you know, I did okay. But I always knew I was going to play cricket for Australia. And I had people tell me not not going to happen. My doctor, when I was 16, I broke my back for the first time. Indian doctor, lovely fella down at uh, Mount Warrigal. He said, look, you've got uh, stress fractures through your lower back. You can't bowl again. Maybe try a different sport. I said, look, I appreciate your guidance and your counsel, but uh, I will be playing cricket. I'm going to go and play test cricket. And when I play test cricket, I'll get you a ticket, which I did. You did? Yeah. So and it was against India, so he was pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Big, how did your parents handle that? Because I'm at that stage now. We're lucky to have a lot of parents and kids listen to this show. And your child said, this is what I'm going to do. You want to promote every dream they have. You do. But you also have in the back of your mind saying, well, that's 11 blokes or 11 girls that are going to achieve that in your period of life. How did your parents handle that? Out of 25 million people. Yes. Did they say, what about a backup plan? Or did they say, cool? My parents backed me 100%. Hmm. and, And they pretty much gave up their life, their social life, to support the three boys. So... You know, dad, dad worked 40 years in the one job, BHP, and he worked day shift, night shift, uh, afternoon shift. But whenever he came home, and I remember him going up on the weekend, and he would literally, he had no sleep, worked the whole night. But then he'd drive the two hours from Mount Warrigal up to Sydney because we're playing on the weekend and didn't even complain once. Same as mum. Mum would be there. What my parents did, and I think really helped me, and that's what I do now with my kids, is they... They always made it important and made it very, um, what's the word I'm after? They they always made sure that when Shane had a game of cricket on, mum would be with Shane, dad would be with me, and my grandparents would be with Grant, hmm. and then they'd change around. So we always had someone watching us. And it feels good to look up and know that someone's got your back and whether you get a duck or you don't get any wickets, that's fine. That's part of the game. They change around each week, and I saw a lot of parents just dump their kids off and come back and pick them up and didn't even ask the question, how would you go? Now, to me, it was I, I played cricket for fun. I, I enjoyed it. The fact that I got paid to do it was criminal because I'm thinking, why are they paying me to do something? I mean, thank you very much and I'll accept it. Mm. Thanks, Cricket Australia. But I would have done it for free. I tell them that post my career. Don't mention that to Fox. No. About your commentating. No, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so that, that period before you play for Australia, grab your guitar again. I'm really putting you on the spot here. That period before you play for Australia, when you were an 18, 19-year-old, what year were you born? I was born in 1976. Okay, 76. So we're talking the early 90s. Give me a song that you can think of from that period. Early 90s? Mm. Or yeah. something that's relevant to you as a young man, probably before you played for Australia. I remember the first song I heard when I was 12 on an aeroplane and I was going to the PWSA Carnival in Adelaide. It was Don't Worry, Be Happy. Right. And I put the little headset, I think I was... Yeah. Uh, first an- trip? Anset, first trip and I was packing it. I was oh. so scared of flying. On oh, the Anset. Yeah, Anset. And I remember putting on the headset and just this song came on. I never heard it in my life. I thought, that's cool. And every time I hear that song, it takes me back to me wearing my little PWSA top. I can't play it, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the 90s to me was... I had a friend through school and, and we became um, buddies and we were sort of hanging out with this this crew that loved rap. And can you imagine two two white guys trying to wear their hat back to front with those 
What are those pants? Are they keppers or something? Or oh, yeah. do you remember those big baggy yeah. bloody rubbish looking pants? Not cool. We used to wear them and just try and do like the the, the running man. <laughs> it was cool back then. And I was thinking, what a bloody idiot. Who am I? What, what was this part of my life? But Belbiv, DeVoe, Run DMC, um, just to mention a few. But then I still, I I love a, a, a whole completely different genre of music. So on my phone, I'll, I will listen to Andre Bocelli. I'll have Metallica on. I'll listen to Backstreet Boys. I'll have Bon Jovi on. So I don't listen to a lot of new songs now. Uh-huh. But I love the oldies, all the, um, you know, Elvis Presley and... Can you play any Bon Jovi or not? Uh, well, see, I sort of... I've been working on this one, but I haven't actually been able to get it, but it's... Jesus, that's bad. Wow. That's bad, sorry. Stuffed that first part. That up, was impressive, though. That's, that's a- hard, and I know there's a few areas in there, and there'll be people listening in that are music going, "Ah, oh, yeah, you, you missed that." But you know what? I don't care. You went on about eight different frets, so I was impressed. Had a crack. Um, I worked my way down the fretboard. I remember watching you. I used to watch a lot of cricket with my mum, and I remember watching. That's cool. Yeah, the fifty over comp, which you know I get to commentate now. It was the Marsh Cup. What was it when you were playing? The fifty over comp. Uh, it record. was the Mercantile Mutual Mercantile ING Mutual. Cup. And I remember my mum called me in and said, look at this young guy from New South Wales. Really? Old Jeannie Howard. And I remember clearly she said she'll, this bloke will play for Australia. So she's a good judge. There you go. Jeannie Howard. Uh, right. I just read your book, Speed, as I told you. And you said, oh, you didn't need to read that. And I read it and I enjoyed it. Um, various stories from that. One, you talked about bowling in the nets to the Australians as a young man and being extremely nervous. I was nervous. I think I would have been, and I'm guessing here, probably 17, 16, 17 years of age. So I'd, I'd been put in the New South Wales Sheffield Shield squad pretty early. So remember I was uh, just finishing up high school, probably so probably 17 years of age, and they asked me to come be a bit of a net bowler, and then I missed out the next year, and then they got me back a few years after. But during that first season, there was an Australian game on a one-day match at the SCG, and the day before the game, they asked me to come down to be a net bowler to the Australian cricket team. And I'm like, oh, yeah. How <laughs> good is this? Oh, yeah. So, so this is all your dreams come true. Yeah. So we hop in the Sigma. <laughs> the Sigma. Yeah. The bloody gold Sigma, which has been all over the country. And we work our way up to Sydney, two hours, and I get out and I'm, I'm, I'm amped. I wasn't, you know, you don't get stiff legs back then because you're 16, 17 years of age. Uh, I think mum dropped me up there and I get out and I they gave me a shirt to wear, I think, which must, now thinking back with the one eye on the whole marketing stuff, obviously to look after their sponsors. Couldn't love up wearing a conflicting sponsor. I didn't know that when I was 17 though. Love up, they give me a shirt and I get the ball and I'm next to Craig McDermott. I'm thinking, how good is this? <laughs> whole heap of other Australian bowlers and look down and who's batting David Boone? How good is this? Give me a white ball. And I mark my run up and I'm about 10 metres past Billy. <laughs> Longer run up. Longer. Oh, this guy, who's this wanker? <laughs> what is going on here? And I'm like skinny. I literally, I could, I was so skinny. I, I'd literally have to run around the shower to get wet. Skinny, ball in hand. 10 metres past, Craig McDermott, who was the number one bowler for Australia at that particular time, David Boone's facing, and I'm just thinking, right, get in there and let it go. But then I'm thinking, hang on, I'm actually, this is like an audition. I want to play for Australia. I want to play for New South Wales first, which was still a long way off, probably about five years off until I did it, probably four years off. Ball in hand, I thought, just enjoy it. And I ran in first ball, full of confidence, not being cocky. I let go of this perfect ball and it came out of the hand horribly. It was a full toss and it hit the side net on the full. (laughs) Hasn't touched the frigging pitch. (laughs) David Boone's picked up this ball and threw it back to him. (laughs) Didn't say anything, just mumbled at me. I thought, no, I've walked back and I I could feel my face. You know when you're blushing, I could feel my head getting hot. I'm going red. 
because there's a few cameras around and everyone's, you know, I'm just a net, I'm just a netty. No one had a clue who I was. Next ball, run in. Whew, other side, the net on the full hasn't hit the the cut stuff. None from two. And then I think it might have been Boonie Sadie be like, get this guy out or something. And I'm like, give me one more go. I thought, right, stuff this. They're laughing at me, you know. All right, give me the ball. Got the ball back. And I ran in and I let go of this ball and it shaped and it ripped the stumps out of David Boone. Knocked him over. And I could see Billy and all the boys <laughs> laughing their heads off behind me. It's gone wide, wide, perfect Jaffa. Ripped his pegs out. And then AB came in and I sniffed him and he got the shits for me. The sniffed him, yeah, for those that don't yeah. understand, is a bouncer. Sorry, the bouncer. So you bounced Alan Border. And apologise for my language as well. Um, bounced Alan Border and... He just, he, he wasn't happy. But then I got my rhythm up and the confidence and then I was fine. I was bowling. And then, yeah, a few of the players said, that's oh, good pace. How old are you, mate? I said, oh, I think, oh, I think I was 16 or 17. I said, let's call it 17. 17 years of age. It's good. Real good pace. Good stuff. See you soon. Thanks for coming down. Got back in the ciggy and I went home. <laughs> but how good's this? So that was my tagline, how good's this? My whole philosophy the whole day was I'm around all these superstars of Australian cricket and I'm certainly enjoying it. How good's this? How good's this? But that's you. That's you. How good's this? And that, that was how I felt. Back to Brett in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games on Thursday, January the 9th, is a man who has faced up to some frightening situations in order to pursue his sporting dream. Farwood Ahmed is no ordinary cricketer. There was more threats. There was like a, you're getting phone calls and you're getting like a letters and stuffs, you know, and they just threaten you and they say, oh, wherever you are, we're going to find you. And this just the phone call make you like a really scared, you know, like. So you were getting know, these phone calls? Everyone's was getting, you know, and they says, oh, if you do this, same thing going to happen. We're not, we're not going to let you go anywhere. What's it like when you're personally being threatened for your life? It's it's really hard. Even when I came here, I was still like uh, getting scared. You know, when my family there, my friends is, uh, one of my friends got killed as well in the bomb blast as well, in the suicide bomb blast. And there was like a terrible one of my friend got kidnapped. He was a good cricketer. He was a good first class cricketer. He took, I think, more than 300 wickets and he was almost close to play for Pakistan. He got kidnapped and got killed as well. He got killed? Yeah, got killed. That's Farwood Ahmed up next on the Howie Games. All right, back to Bing. Before we get to playing for Australia, um, and I'm sure Barclays menswear will come up in this discussion, mm. but you've had a few different jobs as a young man. Run me through your various uh, employers before you became a full-time cricketer. I did my HSC and there was a period of time there where I couldn't really work, so I was about six months away from going to the Cricket Academy. Yep. I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm, I haven't told anyone, so you're probably the first Good. to know, Howie. Good. And they had back then, you know, the, the dole, the rock and roll, I yes. call it. Yes, yes. Someone said, why don't you apply for the dole because you're not working. I said, I'm not applying for the dole. They said, go on. So I walked in there and <laughs> I think I got it twice and I feel, as I said, I feel so embarrassed to say it because – that wasn't me. And there's nothing against people that obviously are on the dole because they're trying to find work. And I get that. I'll, I'll park it to the side. So it's not yep. me being disrespectful. But I I knew that I'd be, I'd be working in six months at the, at the Cricket Academy. I had that opportunity. But just to fill that void. And you have to fill out four slots each week and you have to ring up and have proof that you've called to try to get a job. Right. So I did about... A year before that, I did a little part-time job as a joiner, as a carpenter at a place called Martin's Joinery. I still remember at Oak Flats. And I got there and I was making kitchens and putting things together and, you know, they tell me to go and get the left-handed screwdriver or all these like stitch-ups, <laughs> right, as a, as a youngster. So I did it whilst I was on school holidays, which was a good experience for two weeks. And then I'm thinking, well, what am I going to write? So I kept ringing up all these uh, carpentry places and said, oh, look, it's – hi, my name's Brett. Uh, I'm – after a job, if there's anything available at part-time or whatever. And sorry, mate, um, can I ask who I'm speaking to? Ian. Okay, thanks, Ian. So right, Ian, such and such joinery, eight so, flats. So you could write that Had as one of your four. Right? But then I thought I, I got a little bit uh, creative. I ring up Shell Harbour Hospital. 
hi, can I operate today? Sorry. Okay. I was trying to get as, as, as an, <laughs> just a surgeon. And then that was it. So I think I had two cracks there and then I gave up. That was, I just didn't even go in the next time. So what did you do? The joinery? So I did a bit of joinery and I then made the uh, Australian under-19s cricket team. So I got bumped up. I made the 17s and then they pushed me up to the 19s. They skipped me up a few levels. And they said, right, you've got to get your Australian blazer fitted. So be at Barclays Menswear Centre Point Shop G11 uh, at 8.30 a.m. on Monday morning. Jump into Sigma, up we go. Now, you'd think coming from a country rural area, which is now a very, um, it's, it's a big city, Wollongong, right, but on the outskirts of Wollongong, you'd think we'd be able to find Centrepoint. But when you're in Sydney, you can't see the bloody Centrepoint. <laughs> so we're driving around trying to find it. On the, remember the old Gregory's? <laughs> yeah. There's no phone. All these kids listening in now. G6, about 44. Just put it in your phone, right? But and we're trying to find it and I'm getting frustrated. I'm thinking I'm, I'm late and I'm wearing this horrific suit, this green slash brown microfiber suit. <laughs> Looked like something the, uh, the the pet dog had either vomited over or done something worse. <laughs> I get in there. Long story short, I met a guy called Richard Bowman. Now, Richard Bowman was the owner of Barclays Menswear in Sydney. He had the rights for Flair and had the uh, – they would literally from, – from Melbourne, I mean, Flair was the, the sort of sister company of Hugo Boss. Boss was called 1100 bucks for a suit. Flair would be like 400 Made in the same factory, the same fabric, everything's the same but different branding. So Flair was going to make our suits. So I had to go in and get measured at Barclays. They would send the measurements down to Melbourne. They'd make the suit in Melbourne and then send it to my home address. Mm-hmm. Met Richard, spent like an hour getting the fitting, and I was driving with mum back down the road, uh, back down home, and I said, Richard Bowman's a nice fella, like a really nice guy. About three weeks later, my phone rang, and I was like, hello. And he goes, is that Brett? I said, yeah. He goes, it's Richard Bowman. I said, yeah, you're, you're from Barclays. Thanks so much for helping me out. Anyway, we just sort of clicked and he goes, look, have you ever thought about a job in menswear? I said, well, look, I like, I like menswear. I like, you know, I like wearing a jacket and I remember going to the year 12 formal and wearing that horrible, what I thought was a great, sharp microfiber suit. It was rubbish. <laughs> he goes, come in on Monday and we'll have a chat, 8.30 on Monday. Walk in there, we're in the same suit again and... He goes, look, I, I think that you'd be really good at selling. I think that you get an opportunity. I want you to know that I want to back your cricket. So you know from me that when you have to go training, whether it's at you know club training or if you get in the Shield team or whatever, that comes first. We will back you and support you. You'll always have a job here. You probably can't work weekends. That's fine. Monday to Friday, 8.30 until 5, uh, you know, we are here for you. And I thought, how good is that? And so that was after the meeting. So I've walked out on the floor and I've been in literally in a menswear store, no experience for half an hour. And this gentleman walks in. He goes, hi. I said, morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Look, I'm after a uh, three-button single-breasted with a notch lapel, maybe like a window pane, uh, super 120. I'm like <laughs> high-twist fibre. I'm thinking, what the, what's a bloody high-twist fibre? <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> Didn't know, and I see Richie laughing his head off, so he'd set up his mate to come and stitch me up, <laughs> right. and that was it. And then we, we became good friends. So this continues now, and I still do work. Me and Richie still do work together today for for um, a menswear store. So your approach to dressing, mm. this is not an area I thought we'd get to, but... You're a very sharp man, Harry. Well, all, the, all the listeners out there, all the loyal <laughs> listeners, Howie is a very, very well-dressed Gentlemen, <laughs> you know, especially when we worked on radio at Triple M a couple of years ago, I would roll up in my boardies and thongs Thong and shirt. t-shirt, and you would come always immaculately attired. Like, I mean, for those people listening, I'm talking a beautiful blue suit, <laughs> a white shirt, a nice loafer, a matching belt, a little pocket square as well. And you and me used to laugh, and we used to take it out of each other on air about yeah. it. Why do you always roll up? Is that what makes you feel good? Like I, I roll up the way I do because that's how I'm comfortable. Yeah. Are you comfortable being a really, which you are, a really well, well-dressed man? Uh, look, I, 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 I've i worked really hard to get to where I can and I enjoy, they're, they're the sort of finer things in life that I enjoy. I, I love I love fashion probably because from the age of 17 working in fashion to now, 
Uh, and there was a time there where I was working full time, even whilst I was playing for Australia. <laughs> but I, I understand fashion. I love it. And it makes you feel good. Like if you, if you walk into a place, because the first impressions last. That's what they say. Like image is everything. And if you dress well and you feel good about yourself, it's the same as you. Yeah. You, the way that you are, makes you feel comfortable and you go out and you know what you do and you do it fantastically well. Thank to you. me, it was always about wearing a nice suit and that's what made me feel comfortable. But it, it, it's it's a pain in the backside too because even now I'll, I'll see someone walking down the street and I, can, I know their size straight away. I think, mate, your cuffs are a bit short. You need to show a bit more sort of cuff around the hand. It drives you crazy because you can't just walk past someone without checking their suit out. The great modern fashion question I have for you then is the fashion guru. Um, just been the spring racing carnival in Melbourne. The no sock with the sort of shortened pant, is it a yes or a no? I think it's a yes. Okay. I don't mind it. See, I'm very, very lucky. I've I've married a, a half Greek girl, Lana, who's the most amazing person in my life. So when we get the chance to go overseas and you go to the, to the Mediterranean, that, that, that's how they dress, you know, and you go to France and you go to Italy, they know how to dress. And we always get fashion six months later. But that's sharp. And if it's good enough for them, yeah, I, I don't mind wearing the, you know, the whole no, no sock, but you've got to maybe get the cuff up a little bit higher. Okay. Grab your guitar, play whatever you want for me, and then we'll start talking about... Oh, bang, bang. We'll Black, start talking Black about... Betty just got uh, another bruise on it, but... It's all good. We'll start talking about test cricket shortly, but whatever you would like to play. Um, listen to the Howie games. Oh, it's always. Welcome back. We could have you. <laughs> Every guest I do, I could just have you sitting in the corner with nice little segues. Like a nuffy play. <laughs> Playing these romantic love yes, songs. We're in a hotel here it's in just Brisbane. Just me and Howie. Anyone that's just uh, listening in. We're having a couple of beers. We're having a nice time, which is beautiful. It's been good. Join okay, you. you get picked to play for Australia at a Boxing Day test versus India. I think you'd been around the squad. You might have been twelfth man. Yep. The previous test match. How do you find out you're going to debut for Australia? I get a call firstly, even before I was uh, even chosen the squad. And I remember I was at home. And I was renting a an apartment in Bulwara Road, Piermont. And guess whose apartment I was renting off? Who? Bradley Edward McNamara. Who is now our producer yes. at Fox Cricket. Buzz's apartment. The Buzzard. You can stay there, mate. You're right. <laughs> so I, didn't, I don't think he even charged me rent. And Corey Richards, who yep. is a good friend of mine. We don't get the chance to catch up the way we would love to. Uh, he's busy. Everyone's got, you know, things on. But uh, we were roommates here for a number of years. And we're watching the the test in Hobart where Gilly and JL are going off, he goes, I reckon you'll get a call up here. I reckon they're going to drop Scott Muller and I reckon you'll get the call up. I'm like, no, 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 because there's been heaps of media hype. Uh, I'll probably bowl the quickest spell, I think, up there throughout my whole career a week before that in Perth. And it was in front of Steve Wall, Mark Wall, Esley, Slater, Bevan, I mean – Guys that you want to impress. Absolutely. He goes, I ring you to call. My house phone rang. Hello. Such and such. I didn't even hear the name. Such and such here from um, the Australian Cricket Board and back then, ACB. I'm like, and my, my heart just sort of skipped the beat. And I thought, is this the call I've been waiting for for my whole life? Uh, just to let you know that you've been chosen in the Australian squad to go to Perth against Pakistan. So... Uh, this is what you have to do. And then that was just, you know, like, it's almost like a movie and, you know, when someone's talking then it fades away and then, you know, there's all these things going on in your head. That was me. I look at Corey and I'm like going, yeah, I'm nodding. He's running the fridge, <laughs> popping over the Coronas. <laughs> I'm ha- necking a bloody Corona halfway through, trying to write down on a piece of um, back of an old piece of paper, trying to write down, I'm going to be at the airport at half past three tomorrow afternoon and, you know, you'll get your gear when you arrive in Perth and all that. I'm going, yeah, 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 and I'm trying to write this stuff down. And I I don't know, it, it was that moment where I just thought, this is it. This is this is why I think I've been put on earth is to to play sport and try to be an, an, an entertainer and have fun doing it. And that was the call I was after. And then that night I, I spoke to my brother Shane, I rang him and I was playing for Mossman then, Mossman Cricket Club. And I remember Martin Haywood, who played shield cricket for New South Wales, 
And my brother Shane went to the Oaks in uh, Neutral Bay there and we sat outside and I remember having a steak. I still remember it. And so this is back in 1999 and I've been chosen the test team. So my brother was playing in the one-day side of that, at that time and I've been chosen the test so I thought, this is pretty special. This is really, really special. And we had to feed to celebrate and a few beers and then we flew out next day. And I didn't play in Perth. I was left out and I missed the Adelaide test. They dropped me from the squad because they wanted to choose that second spinner, which I knew would probably happen. And then the Boxing Day test came up and was that a man, Casper, and they picked me. How do you find out that it's going to be you? Well, it's meant to be this beautiful surprise when you walk down the field and Stephen Wall, the captain, reads out the team. But as you know, when you've got someone, as we do in the commentary box, who's a legend, SK Warren. Oh, the king. So the king... I'm walking down the stairs and we're going to meet and they said, look, we'll announce the, the team on the ground. Warnie goes, hey, mate, um, just heard from Tugger that you're playing. <laughs> so uh, and we're walking down and I just got goosebumps. Like even now, I just think about it. Um, you're picked, right? You're playing. You're in the 11 for Australia. But when, when Tugger tells you, just make it you don't know. That's what <laughs> Act like, King, bloody, like, so he told me. The king told me. <laughs> Act surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So I got got down there and I'm trying to hide my emotion of pure joy. Got my head down and, yeah, get, get picked for the team. I get my cap presented by the Australian uh, former player, Ian Meckiff, left arm fast bowler, who ironically got called for throwing. Mm. And then six months into my career, I, I get my action questioned. Luckily, it was turned over 10-0 in my favour. But how ironic, yeah, mm. Ian Meckiff. But that, that, was a, that was a great day. Uh, I remember doing a photo shoot with a guy called Phil Hilliard. You probably know Phil. Yes. does a lot of work and he's one of the, probably the best picks, picky guys around Australia. Uh, it was me. I, st- I got the photo at home. And I'm laying on my hotel bed and I'm looking up above what is a stocking and there's a bag of green coming out of the stocking and that oh, was my Christmas wish. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I, I got given the bag of green that night, the night before the test. I wanted to sleep in it. I literally wanted to sleep in it, with it on my head but I was worried about it being creased and I put it on the table and I just had it resting and I, was, I, I couldn't I just kept looking at it. I was kissing it and smelling it and just going. And it's green. It's a green um, felt. That's all it is. And there's probably other green felts that are very similar that, all clubs across Australia use, but it, what it stood for with the, the coat of arms. And I thought at that stage, only 382 people have ever got one and I'm 383 and how good is this? So did Australia bat first in that test? We bat first. That's a wonderful description. So then you go out there, you didn't get the new ball at that stage because no. you had a couple of big boys before yep. you. So at what stage does Steve Waugh look over to you and then it's – it's the Melbourne Test match. Yeah. Brett Lee might be going to be unleashed for one, maybe two overs before lunch. I think because I, I, I went out and I took a while to get off the mark and I ended up getting 27. And the reason why I know that number was because it was the first time I had the chance to bat with a helmet on. But that really put me in good stead and that took away those nerves that may have happened if we bowl first, first use of the crease. So out there batting, get a couple of runs, makes you feel confident. Steve Wall gestured with the shoulders, warm up, you're on. I'm like, great. I wasn't nervous at all. I thought, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Huh. Give me the rock. And I told the umpire, this is where we should stand, please, sir. And I measured my run up, did a couple of sort of run-throughs and, and, and bowled a couple of, you know, because everyone else did it, that's why I did it. Just copied what everyone else, bowled the ball into the ground and try and warm up. The only thing I was disappointed was that day was about, Two days before I found out, I used this stuff called Sunin because my hair was white and you're going to laugh your head off your hair. Oh, no. my, <laughs> my hair was white growing up. And as I got a bit older, it started to get a bit darker. So I used Sunin to try to lighten it up. What and it, it bloody went Sunin and it went nearly orange. It looked like a Gatorade bottle, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm on the big stage and my hair's not good. This is rubbish. And they're all uh, up to Brett Lee. Wishing him all the best, and uh, he's obviously got the call from the skipper. So, interesting moment for this young man. He's had uh, success with the bat. That'll uh, mean that the confidence is up, but it won't help to get rid of the nerves because this is what he's really here to do. Bowl fast. 
So get the new ball and took off my jumper, my vest, gave my baggy green to the umpire and had the ball in hand. Just went, let's go. And that was it. Fourth ball? Fourth ball. Ramesh, left-handed batsman for India. Uh, Little inside edge, top of, I think it was middle or leg stump, chopped on. Fourth ball, first over, and I've got a test wicket. On he's got him. First wicket in test cricket for Brett Lee, and he's done it by hitting the stumps. And I literally run, Justin Langer at short leg, I just burst through him because I just want to get to Gilly. I just want to keep, I just want to run. That's that 100-metre sprint that I could have done. I, I, I could have jumped over, I reckon, like a two-metre fence. I was that excited. And to this day, I keep apologising to JL for running through him and just brushing him. <laughs> you got the high, hands up for the high five and just straight through him. I thought, you know what, I, I've, I've achieved my dream. I've got a test wicket. I... I can die happily now. I, I'm I'm content. And then I thought, I wouldn't mind another one. Got him. Put behind. Yes, Big Nick. That's it. A very fast delivery outside off stump. Driver has gone for the cut shot. And uh, that was a really big Nick. Wicket number two for Bretley. Oh, I wouldn't mind three. Ball him. Clean ball him. Fast delivery. And they love seeing those stumps fly out of the ground. Bretley. He's having a ball today. I get five here. Oh, and that's what ball. Big appeal. Yes, got him. LBW. LBW first ball. Bretley. Beautiful delivery. Bang on target. Fast, furious, and dead straight. I got my fifth wicket. I'm like, I've got five. Oh, he's hit him in there. This is out. Yes, he's taken it. That's the end of Srinath. He's got another one. Oh, what a day. Five wickets on debut. Brett Lee has brought the MCG alive. I got five wickets for a bloody Australia. <laughs> How happy am I? Look at the smile on your face. How happy now. am I? And I like even now I could get the ball in my hand and I've, I mean I couldn't do it at the tender age of forty three. But that was some of the best moments of my life. And a wonderful era to play cricket. So welcomed by the, the whole team. I was in before we walked out to to bowl. I'm in the change room, and Gilly, who I'm sitting next to, he's asked me a lot of questions. That I didn't realise they're trying to stitch me up. So Gilly's saying, "Look, mate, just keep the ball coming through to me. Get that shape early. You get the nicks, and don't worry about Sachin Tendulkar. He's only Sachin. Blah blah blah." Distracted me because McGrath, who's the bloody serial pest, I love I love Pidgey. He was tying my shoelaces together. So as I get up, I trip over because I mean I could have been out of the, my first test. Busted knee or a hammy or something. And they were like, welcome, Binger. <laughs> There's Often when I talk to cricketers, we spend a lot of time talking through their cricket career. But with you, Brett, as you quite rightly said at the start, you don't define yourself as a cricketer. There's so many other things in your life. But so. I, didn't, I didn't watch a lot of cricket growing up. Yeah. There's always backyard cricket. Head on the background, but just backyard cricket. So for that reason probably won't spend as much time talking about your cricket Great. career because there's so many other things to talk about. But but you did mention there six, seven months into your career, the worst thing that can be said about a bowler yep. is that he throws the ball. Yep. And the way I've lived my life is I would rather be called a loser than a cheat. Mm. One thing I don't do is cheat mm. in all aspects of my life. I am – I consider myself uh, – when it comes to playing by the rules, I will push – any boundary as far as I can. I'll push, uh, you know, I'll push that envelope as hard as I can, but I won't step over the line. And there has been times where I have, I've, I've not proud to say, I've sworn on the, on the pitch, I told a guy to 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 get off nicely, yep. if you know where I'm going. I do. Got fined, got, lost my whole match fee. Steve Wall said, well, bowl, but you've lost your match fee. So I'd push as hard as I can, but I've, ne- I've never cheated. I've never done the wrong thing. So for me to have my action questioned, which I knew, I knew I didn't throw the ball. I was like, how can this be? And I remember having a chat to Dennis Lee, who was instrumental in putting his case forward to say that I didn't have a problem with my action. If it wasn't for Dennis, I could have been rubbed out. I could have been a band cricketer at six months in terms of that was my career. Done. So when I went in, I remember with, uh, my, my manager at the time, I said, what's the worst that can happen? Into the hearing. Yeah, I wasn't there. I was right. on the phone. But yep. as they were walking in, I said, look, what can happen 
if it goes against me, well, you can be banned from cricket. For how long? Well, a year, two years, forever. So you're saying that I might not ever be able to play for Australia again. Yeah, it could happen. We hope not. We don't think so. Panel of 10 came back 10-0 in my favour, I think because of the way that Dennis set the whole thing up and explained about, you know, there's a lot of um, optical illusions that happens when when people bowl and there's hyperextension of the elbow. Uh, you know, as long as there's no straightening of the elbow, 15 degrees back then, and, yeah, it came back 10-0 in my favour. So that – but that that – even to this day, mate, you know, you still get, when I used to tour uh, over to England, they call me a chucker. Mm. And it hurts, you know, the, the, the sort of mud does stick. Even though that you, you, you know, you're not guilty, they'll call you a chucker. And I thought, well, I learned to get over it. And my first trip to, uh, to England in 2001, I probably listened to the crowd too much and I'll try to bowl quicker. And then when you bowl quick and you bowl short and you bowl wide, you get pumped. And that went against me. Was being an Australian cricketer everything you thought it would be? Yeah, it was great. Uh, in the Aussie team with guys I looked up to, um, you know, you'd go you'd go to after the game, you go to the bar and you're with Warney and Steve Waugh and, 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 and just the way that your life changes. Like, you know, you get recognised and, and I wasn't playing because I wanted to be recognised or be a, a name that a lot of people that like sport would know. That wasn't... I just want to bowl fast. But that that was weird. That took probably a while to get used to. But I'm hanging out with Warney, had the Nike earring in, <laughs> hanging out with S Wall, M Wall, you know, and I thought this is this is this is a cool life. I'm enjoying this. What is fame like? How do you deal with fame from a bloke that no one knows working in a Barclays menswear to being a tall, blonde, good looking, fast bowler who is playing I think it'd be fair to say at your time you were the most famous cricketer certainly in Australia and probably around the world at the time in your heyday. Well, and I know that doesn't sit well with you. Yeah, it sits weird because I don't – and people use the word celebrity. I don't – I hate that word. I, I don't – you know, you, you, can, you can say that people might know your name. I don't like the word fame either and we, we all use it. We, we say it on commentary. Mm. He's going to be very famous now or she's going to be a famous person because of this and that. But I don't, I don't look at myself as that. I look at myself as someone that has grew up in Mount Warrigal with some really stable um, parents that brought me up and, and some really, really good beliefs. And I go, if I'm not, like, even now, talking about it, I forget I even played cricket. Mm. I walked in the street and someone said, oh, mate, you used to love your career. Oh, thanks. That's right. Played a bit of cricket. But how did you deal so with So I just switched it off. How did you deal with that in your heyday, that paparazzi, that, that being the low-key bloke that you are when people are wanting you? Well, because I'm such a private person, I wasn't out in the, the fancy restaurants. I didn't grow up and, and certainly live in the eastern suburbs. I wasn't at places where there'd be paparazzi. I used to live at Lane Cove and that's a beautiful area in sort of, you know, in a western sort of north Sydney. But a normal house, under the radar, and that's, that's the way I love my life. And it's even like, uh, you know, you, you, I, there was times where I'd be followed by the paparazzi and I used to hate it because it's such an invasion. Like you can ask me any question you want, even now, about anything to do with my life in, in, in general, and that's fine, right? Because I'm out there on the, prob- on, on the public profile uh, or, or the sort of the, the platform, probably a better way to say, as a cricketer and, and as, a, as a former cricketer. But when it comes to my family, that's, that's, that's my private life. So, you, you know, you won't see... A thousand pictures on social media with my family. That's that's why I've always lived my life. And I think because I'm under the radar with that type of stuff, then they probably thought it's boring. And don't worry about chasing me. You spent oh, how many times have you been to India? Oh, well over one fifty. Okay, and we'll get to India shortly. About but eight passports. Wow, trips to India, mm. and I know you love the place. In your heyday, well, still now, if you get off the plane and you're walking down the main street in Mumbai. What's it like? You can't. You can. And it's funny. If I ever want to feel good about myself or boost my ego, I jump on the flight, Singapore Airlines, I arrive in Mumbai, and it's just the love that you get. So if you're feeling rubbish here and you're not getting the love, go to India for a week. Quick, You quickly get over it because it's so overwhelming. But they are just a beautiful race of people, and I fell in love with India back in 1994. But... 
you can't go anywhere without being recognised. And that's in, that's most Australian cricketers. Mm. Of course, they've done a lot of work over there. They've got charities over there which I help out. So that obviously, you know, people appreciate that too, that you're putting back into a country that you've – and I've taken so much out of in terms of the experiences and, 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 and the cricket matches and playing in Indian Premier League and, and now I work with Star Sports. When the time that you wake up to the time that you go to bed, you are on duty. And the best way to explain it, Howie, is that last IPL, I did a bit of a mathematical sort of calculation. And I worked out that during the IPL, I had 18,000 selfies. <laughs> so good numbers. 300 a day for 60 days I was over there. That's 18,000, yeah. Yeah. 360 to 18. Yeah. Yeah. 18,000 selfies, give or take. Could be 1,000 wow. less, could be 1,000 more. But 300 easily a day, easily. I mean, you have that at breakfast. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about fruit platters in your room. Yeah, well, they're very cagey. The 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 Indian people that worked, all the staff, and they're lovely. So I'll have do not disturb on my door. I'll have the red toggle. I'll have the latch. I'll have the the double lock happened, but they still knock on the door, and it might be midnight. So you hear it looks really like the little peephole. I see a guy there with his name badge on. He's got this thing. What's he holding? Hello? Hello, sir. Fruit platter. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mark, but I didn't order it. That's okay. And he's sort of helping himself in the room, like he's trying to push himself in the room because there's cameras outside in the, in the corridor and if he gets a photo with the cameras, he'd be in trouble. <laughs> so he pushes his way in the door and I'm like, thanks for the fruit platter. You can just put it down over there on the table. Thanks, mate. Photo? Sure, mate. So... Gets a selfie, gets a photo, and then he goes and tells his mate who works in the kitchen. So then you get like, on most days I probably get about twelve to fifteen fruit platters. I'm super healthy. Bloody <laughs> 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 bananas and mangoes and stuff, <laughs> and that's that's the way to get in. So yeah, you, you know you wake up in the morning and you'd be halfway through your scrambled eggs, and someone's there just pops the camera in, gets a selfie. Now, people from Australia will go, that's rude. That's an invasion of privacy. That's bad. And you could look at it two ways. The way I look at it, 1.3 billion people, if they don't put their best foot forward, if they don't push the front of the line, that's their culture. It's not rude. And when you understand their culture, they'll, they'll, they'll miss out. In Australia, if there's 30 people waiting to get uh, David Warner's autograph, they'll line up because mm. that's the way we've been taught here. In India, they'll just come forward and they'll come from every angle. Not rude, different culture. So it's a free-for-all. Breakfast is a free-for-all. You just get peppered and like you literally, and there's people that can deal with it and people that can't deal with it. I think my patience, certainly with India, I've got a lot of patience with India and that's why I love coming home to Australia and it's, you can walk down the main street here in Brisbane or you can walk down in Sydney and people can say hi, but they don't really care and that's great. How'd Junior go in India? Uh, just have a, have a, have a brekkie, mate. <laughs> Give me a sec. <laughs> Direct man. <laughs> hey, lovely man. Direct man. Great guy. Um, talking about India, I know you're really good mates with Sachin Tendulkar. What is his life like in India? Well, if you think that mine is full on from the time I get up, time's up by probably a billion. Is it? He, he cannot go anywhere. He, he is the most genuine guy that you'll meet. Lovely fella. has got time for everyone. He can't sign every single autograph, as we all can't, because there's not enough hours in a day and there might be a 1,000 people. And as soon as you hear the word Sachin, it's not even Sachin Tendulkar, it's just Sachin. As soon as you hear the word Sachin, people's eyes light and they love him, they adore him. And, of course, there's a few that go, oh, he could have been better or he could have been this. That's a, that's a, a rarity. When Sachin walks in the room, you, you can feel that presence. He's a lovely guy. He'll thank everyone and, you know, before he leaves if he's doing a shoot. But he just get he. I mean, if you think I get peppered, he gets peppered massively. Wow. And there was a time where I went out to dinner with him and he goes, I'll pick up my Ferrari, 5 o'clock, something in tomorrow afternoon. I have a bit of a sleep in and a bit of a rest. No, 5 a.m. A.m.? I said, why 5 why, why so early, mate? Well, you can't drive during the day because it's too packed. So he picks me up in the hotel near, near the Sea Link in Mumbai, Taj Lands, I think it was. And he goes, be there at 5 a.m. short, uh, sharp. 5 a.m. sharp comes. I'm out there about quarter to five. He lobs up in this red Ferrari 
and within the space of 20 seconds, it would have been a 1,000 people there because they probably heard him coming. They knew it's his car. Wow. And they just run. I mean, the place you, you talk about, New, you know, New York City, the place that never sleeps or the city that never sleeps, that's Mumbai. They, don't, they do not sleep there. They're, someone's always up doing mm. something because it's a huge mass of people. So we jump in the car and we're flying down the road and he brings you back and drops me off and then people are getting photos and stuff. And it, it's, it's a crazy life, but I love it. I love it over there. That's the end of Brett Lee Part A, but don't worry, he's only just warming up, so please tune in for Part B. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.